Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another edition of Leadership Matters, the show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll serve as the moderator of our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. We work together to help organizations to strengthen and transform themselves, to help them to ensure a more successful future. And with me today as our guest panelist is my good friend, Rihanna Absar. Rihanna, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Thank you, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Um, My name is Rohana, and I am the Director of Organizational Excellence at the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, Um, and I primarily uh, work to ensure that our organizations, um, community-based organizations, are foundationally strong um, and enabled to achieve the impact and long-term outcomes uh, that we all strive for. Outstanding. Well, today, Rihanna and I are proud to have as our special guest another friend of longstanding, Christina Gullo, the president and CEO of Villa of Hope that was formerly known as St. Joseph's Villa. And today we'd like to discuss adaptive change with Christina. But before we begin our discussion on adaptive change, Christina, I'd like to give you a chance to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. We all know that leadership is a journey. And we'd like to hear about your leadership journey. Could you share your leadership journey with us? What specific things have happened thus far in your career that eventually led you to become the president and CEO of St. Joseph's Villa, which is now Villa of Hope? Sure. And thank you so much, Tom and Rihanna, for having me on today. And I'm really happy to hopefully share some good information for for others. Um, my leadership journey is probably similar to most. Um, you know, I started as a social worker and was doing that for five years in community-based work. And what happened is I was really loving the program development side of things, and I was fortunate to work for a number of um, leaders who really gave me opportunities. And so I, I always say that to young people that I'm talking to and absolutely a new employee orientation that, you know, take those opportunities when they come up, even if you don't feel like you're ready for them, because it's in the uncomfortable times that we're really growing as leaders. Um, And so I was very fortunate to have a lot of opportunities. I moved into human resources. I did that for seven years. And really what I learned from my 16 years at my previous organization from an excellent CEO was both the quality of the services that we provide to the people that we um, are there to to, um, assist, as well as the culture of an organization, are two of the assets that really make an organization stand out from from others. And that really stayed with me. And um, it was at that time that I decided to go back and get my MBA because I really wanted to be in a position to lead an organization. And certainly not for the titles or the headaches that, that many of us know. Um, it's, it's really about, for me, ensuring to uh, be able to lead those two pieces, the quality 
um, of services and care as well as the culture of the organization. And so the opportunity came up at the Villa about eight years ago. It's, uh, it's an organization that really specializes in youth and families. Um, and when I had the opportunity to make that change, I took that opportunity. Well, fantastic. What do you see as your greatest strengths as a leader? Well, I think that my greatest strengths have changed since I've been here at the Villa. Um, and, and really, at the top of my list today would be words like resilience, um, the ability to make really difficult decisions, adaptability, to be able to really change quickly. Um, and uh, I think in our challenging world, to be able to really have optimism, tenacity, future-focused, and I think the most important thing is to know when to ask for help. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been lucky that whenever I've made phone calls, um, people are there on the other end of the phone to say, you know, I did it this way, or let me share this with you, or I know who to connect you with. Um, and that's just been a lifesaver for me. Outstanding. Now, a lot of people have given you feedback, I know, because you are a leader within our field that has a very high level of visibility. And whenever you're visible, everyone wants to give you advice. What advice Mm -hmm. have people been giving you specifically about your ongoing development as a leader? (laughs) That's a great question, Tom. Um, So I think, you know, in in my beginning stages as as a leader, it was certainly what I found that I was always working on was composure. Um, and, uh, and how, you know, it was very obvious what I was thinking uh, that was on my face. These days, it's, it's more around, um, I think, the, the ability to constantly communicate, the, um, the need to be out with the masses, um, mm-hmm. and to make time to do that. And I, and I think especially as we move up in higher level positions, it becomes challenging. And if you don't make that time in your calendar to do that, um, it, it very quickly gets eaten up by other things. But it's sure. one of the most important things that we can do is to spend time with those, especially our direct care staff. What are the things, staff. Christina, that you hear when you go out amongst your staff and ask them for feedback and thoughts and advice and suggestions? What are you hearing most often from your direct service staff? Well, of course, you first hear about all of the problems and the issues that they want to have fixed. <laughs> sure. But when you, when, you, when you dig into that some more, they really just want to be listened to. They want to know that, that, that someone, especially in a CEO position, cares about what their opinion is and, and cares about them as people. Um, and so I've started doing a couple things like Coffee with Chris um, with line staff, just monthly time with them. I've started to put times on my calendar to go out and, and chat with them. And, you know, a lot of times, Tom, you get some really good ideas because oh, yeah. right, these, these are the folks who are, who are right there and doing the work. And some of it's very simple ideas um, that can make their job a lot easier that we can certainly do for them. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been moving through different roles in your leadership journey, and now you're in that role of president and CEO. 
What specific challenges have you faced in that role as president and CEO that have contributed most to the formation of your strong commitment to adaptive change? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I really understood adaptive change until I was in this position to the truest mm-hmm. extent. Um, you know, certainly going into a new environment in which I didn't know who I could trust. I didn't have the tools and the information that I had in my previous organization. Um, and certainly, it, you know, this tradition, this uh, agency was in um, a very steeped tradition of residential. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that there were beliefs that needed to be challenged, new ways of thinking um, had to happen, but that took a lot of conversations about the why, um, the why behind the change. Um, mm-hmm. and, and discovering that was uh, what was on the surface was was not really matching what was under underneath everything, and really, you know, sure. facing those brutal facts and continuing to peel back um, the onion while you have hundreds of employees, youth, families, you know, really counting on me to make this work, but also questioning, like, who is this new CEO, um, and sure. um, and you know, and why do we have to have all this change? So. You know, adaptive change for me has taken on a whole new meaning because I I can come into this with a fresh pair of eyes coming from a different experience, knowing exactly what needs to happen and why. And, you know, your your inclination is to just go, you know, full full steam ahead. And you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. It, you have to have so much patience and you have to have vulnerability to, you know, I had to spend a lot of time out with staff in staff meetings just talking about the facts, just the facts. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't make some changes, you know, this community was going to lose all of the, all of the core services that this agency had. And those are really hard conversations to have without making people feel like they've been doing something wrong. Yeah, very much so. You alluded to the fact that when you came in and began this process, you found that there were tools and information that you needed that you had formerly had at your disposal, but you Mm -hmm. didn't in this new organization. Can you talk a little bit more about the tools and information you were looking for, but you didn't have yet? Sure. Sure. And, you know, you think that they, you know, would be um, significant, but but there's the simple things. There's the P&L statements by program. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, There was not email across the organization. So it became very challenging to even communicate, you know, to the masses some in, in a simple way. Um, sure. There were paper timesheets. Um, there were not reports. Uh, the, all of the case records were in paper. Um, there really wasn't metrics um, that were there. And I had a very significant fiscal crisis um, that really had developed over a three-year period um, and, and really in the midst of um, a blindness um, to the board. Um, and so to be able to really have the skill set here and the reports here, uh, it just didn't exist. And so I needed to go external to get some help 
just to start pulling information together so that I had some facts to be able to begin to put the data and the information together as I went out and shared those facts with people. Just the challenge of the simple data collection just didn't exist. Oh, my goodness, yes. What a challenge that would be. Those would be tools and information that you surely right? have to have if you want to manage adaptive mm-hmm. change. Now, mm-hmm. we're going to have some further discussion about adaptive change in the next segment, but for right now, we have to take a short break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back and continue this discussion. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar and our special guest, Christina Gullo, who is president and CEO of Villa Hope. In the last segment, Christina was sharing her leadership journey and 
how she prepared for leadership, and then she assumed the role of president and CEO of what was then known as St. Joseph's Villa in November of 2010. Now, Christina, Rihanna and I really want to talk a little bit more with you specifically about your thoughts on adaptive change. You and mm-hmm. Jerry Ann Puskas recently wrote an intriguing article entitled Adaptive Change as a Result of Confronting the Brutal Facts. Well, tell us, what does it mean to lead adaptive change? Mm, excellent question. And, and again, Tom, I don't think I could have answered this question in the same way prior to this experience um, at, sure. at the Villa. So it's been quite a learning um, for, for myself as well. And to, to me, the, the difference is clear between leading and managing adaptive change. So in, in leading adaptive change, um, you know, you really have to take a step back. You can't just begin jumping into the process pieces. We have to stop and really take a look at the environment. And when I say that, I mean externally, nationally, state, locally, and, and what is being asked of us, what do we see happening externally? We have to be really mm-hmm. honest about what we're hearing from our funders and our community um, about how we're doing. Um, are, we, are we actually um, providing what they need? How, how is the relationship? Um, are we doing what's right for our clients, our community, you know, our own team. I mean, it became very clear to me that we weren't providing very good programming um, for mm-hmm. our, our residential youth. Um, and what about our leaders? Do they really have what they need? Are we going to be asking them to do a change and they are not even prepared developmentally from a leadership perspective to, to help us kind of process through that change? And, sure. and do you really have, after all of that, do you really have the patience and the persistence that this is going to take? And it's going to mean leading even when there's uncertainty um, in that. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is key and probably a step that, you know, for most of us, we would like to just be able to kind of pass over because it's mm-hmm. difficult and it means really confronting those brutal facts. And then the next step is now what are we going to do about what we know and how are we going to lead that? So for me, you know, the, the first piece of this was some soul searching in, is this what I want in my life right now? Because I'm sure. looking at this and I'm very clear on what this is going to take. Um, and, and I had a young daughter at the time, and I was newly married, and really had to take some time to say to myself, is, is this what I want to do? I had no idea what I was walking into, and now here is what I'm faced with. Once mm-hmm. that answer was yes for me, my second step was, did I have a board behind me? And so I can remember the day that I was in front of the executive committee of this board, and I told them everything that I saw that was happening and although I may not have had all of the facts yet, it, it was all pointing in the same direction. And so I said to them, here's what it's going to take. And I laid it out for them. And I said, and if that is not what you want for this organization and, you, and in your CEO, then I'm not that person. 
and I, I'm happy to resign immediately. Um, and that takes a lot of risk. So somebody has so to be willing course. to really understand um, what this is going to take and to really put out there, right, that you may not even have a position when you start talking about what really needs to happen when we're talking about adaptive change. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you, so ahead, that, I think, that honesty is really important. Mm-hmm. Were you going to ask a question? Yes, you, you talked about leading adaptive change, and in your article, you d- draw a distinction between leading adaptive change and managing adaptive change. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about managing adaptive change for a bit? Sure. So managing adaptive change, in my mind, is now that you've done kind of what I think is one of the hardest pieces in, in looking at the realities of that, then... The managing adaptive change is really more about are we doing the right things in the right manner, in the right order, in the right priorities? You know, are we gathering the information and making the the best decisions that we can in the moment? Um, Are we taking any shortcuts? Do we have the um, priorities right for our investments in our budgets? Are we deciding that there are certain business lines that we need to get out of? Do we need to downsize so that we can grow? What are we going to grow in? So then it's the development of the strategy plan with that. And do we truly claim ownership of the change process? Um, You know, are we really looking beneath the brutal facts of the situation, the five whys? Um, We use that quite a bit. Um, And if we're not doing the right things, are we identifying key issues and we're, are we offering appropriate solutions? And, you know, one of, the, one of the pieces that I, when I would ask questions, it was always, well, we've always done it that way. And, um, you know, I'm proud to say today I don't hear that anymore, but I think for five years that, that that's what I heard or that there isn't anything that we can do. And, you know, my response back is always, but that's not a solution. So there's got to be solutions even if it means, okay, this, is, this, is, this business is not going to work, um, this particular business line, and we need to exit it. Like, even that's a solution. Um, mm-hmm. But then do we have the courage that needs to be done? Um, for us, all of this that I'm talking about with managing adaptive change was really managed at my executive level at, with my team because it was very obvious that the next layer down was not ready to take on sure. even managing the changes of adaptive of, of the adaptive changes that were happening. So then it became, oh my gosh, we there is clarity here that we need to help develop and invest in the development of our directors um, mm-hmm. who didn't even understand their own budgets. Um, you know, let alone be able to kind of manage through adaptive change in difficult conversations. So, so I would say for three to four years, it was the executive senior leadership team here that, that managed the, the majority of that while we were developing the, the directors and the program managers at the organization. Outstanding. That makes a lot of sense. Why don't you share with folks who are listening what you felt were the brutal facts that you had to confront within your organization. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've been alluding to some of them, but why don't you give a, a good, clear picture of the brutal sure. facts that you felt uh, 
you had to deal with. Sure. So one of the first things that that I did here was um, went out and talked with uh, funders and stakeholders in the community, and I just wanted to hear, you know, what was working well, you know, what were some of the concerns, um, you know, what give me some feedback, um, where do you, kind of, that's how I got some environmental scan information, um, and it became very clear that our reputation was very, very poor, um, despite the fact that the employees here did not believe that the reputation was very poor. They, they were led to believe that we had a very solid reputation, um, which we did at one, at one time, of course. I mean, this agency has been here for years, but, but mm-hmm. nobody ever told them that there was a change that had happened in our reputation. Um, the current program model wasn't meeting the needs of the kids, and our staff were feeling very unsafe. So I can remember one of my first town hall meetings with staff was all about safety. And, um, and, and they were feeling very unsafe. They didn't have the tools to be able to work effectively with the population that we were seeing because we were now seeing a lot of our kids in residential with mental health needs and high levels of trauma. So we had, a, we had kids feeling unsafe. We had staff feeling unsafe. I probably had police cars here, you know, multiple times a day and multiple police cars. Um, and then there was the fiscal crisis. Um, and honestly, Tom, there were days that I didn't know how we were going to make payroll. We were... Sure. On a line of credit of $3.5 million that was maxed out, we had used our unrestricted dollars, um, and we had a foundation, but that foundation was tied to the line of credit. And so in those situations, banks don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, of course. They're not knocking on your door to say, you know, how can we, how can we help you? Um, and, I mean, some of the other brutal facts was, as I dug into more information, um, we were one of the lowest daily rates for our beds in, in the state. Um, and so we hadn't advocated, we hadn't done anything to move to specialized residential in order to, to receive a higher rate. We hadn't moved yeah. to increase our medical rate. And, you know, we were looking at half-million-dollar deficits um, with our medical because the staff was trying to do the right thing and still taking yeah. care of the youth um, but not getting the revenue in to, to support and sustain that. Um, well, so, and then, we have, you know, there we was have clear... a lot more that we need to discuss in the next segment. Just hold your thoughts, Christina. We're going to okay. come right back to them. We have to take a short break. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858 858- 
858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar and Christina Gullo, the president and CEO of the Villa of Hope. In the last segment, Christina was talking about the difference between leading adaptive change and managing adaptive change, and she was also talking about some of the brutal facts that she had to work with her organization to be able to prepare for the future. In this segment, Rihanna Absar is going to lead the discussion, so Rihanna, take it away. Thank you, Tom. Um, So, Christina, in your article, uh, you stress the importance of building the right team to help uh, to drive the adaptive change process. Can you elaborate on what you did to build an adaptive change team? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, So, when I arrived uh, here, the uh, rest of the senior leadership team um, had retired. Uh, So, basically, I was rebuilding um, from the ground up for uh, my executive team. And, you know, at the time, what I, what I needed, and, I, and one of the things that I always say is, you know, when you're hiring for a position, you really need to think about um, the, the right person with the right skill set um, in the right seat. Um, and, you know, eight years ago, 
as I was doing that and putting a team together. Um, what I needed in terms of the competencies were very different than what I would need today because the organization is in a very different place. So that, that puts some challenges in, I think, the consistency that, uh, that a leader could expect to have if you have that much transformation happening. So I, I think, you know, the organization needs a leadership team that can really foresee and believe in and need to adapt um, and continually moving forward in this ever-changing environment. But, but the day-to-day pieces along with that call for different skill sets. Um, so I would say that, one, it, it takes some hard, honest assessment of, of staff skills, attitude, aptitude, um, as well as knowing that there could be times where these choices fit today but they may not fit four years from now or they may not fit two years from now. And having the courage to make the changes that are needed and having the transparent conversations of the why behind the need for the change. Um, The other piece is what we saw um, here at the Villa is we had people that had been here for 25 years and they had invested, you know, most of their career here without any development. Um, and the skills that were needed when I, when I arrived here were not the same skills that were, that were needed 15 years before that. Um, and so if, if we really owe it to our staff, our families, um, our funders, to give the best that we can. Um, and that's not always going to be able to happen with either the people that you have in the seats or even the people that you've put in the seats along the way. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, with this uh, adaptive change team that you now have, how do you continue to keep that lens and kind of that visionary um, for all of the team members to ensure that you're continuously <laughs> yeah. adapting as things continue to change at the pace that they continue to do so. Yeah, if they were on this call, they'd say I drive them crazy. But <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, uh, well, for starters, um, I have an executive coach. Um, my whole team has executive coaching. Um, and then we also have our own team work sessions and we are, we are just radar on our strategy plan. And, and in fact, we're kind of finishing up uh, a pretty large scope, which we'll talk about in a minute, which was uh, um, becoming a, a certified trauma organization mm-hmm. with sustainable outcomes. Um, and we're finishing that up and we're moving on to the next flag on the hill of, I mean, really trying to look, which is hard to do, but trying to look at 10 years out from now, what do we want the villa to be known for? What do we want the villa to have an impact in this community on? And then working our way backwards. Um, And so we spend a lot of time on those conversations with a team before we even get in front of the board to have those conversations. And, And that really then begins to to lead to the conversation of, you know, are we all still in this? Are we all still passionate about where we're going? Do we all have the skill sets that we need to be able to do that in the positions that we're in? Or do we maybe need to change something up a little bit? Do we need to put this 
this department under this person? Um, do we need a skill set hired that we don't have? So I think it's become common practice um, for our team because we've been doing it now so long. Um, but that takes um, that takes a laser focus, and it takes it takes time, and it takes energy, and it takes vulnerability, and it takes open communication. Great, thank you. Um, in the last segment, you know, you were talking about some of the brutal facts um, that you had to confront at your organization, and um, you know, we'd love to hear um, or have you share how adopting the sanctuary model helped you to reshape the culture of the love hope. Um, and before you mm-hmm. do that, can you, for those listeners that might not be familiar with the sanctuary model, can you please tell us a little bit about the model itself? Sure, sure. So as I was saying in the, one of the last segments, I was talking about the staff feeling really unsafe, and it was becoming very clear to me that um, they didn't have the tools and, and they didn't really have the knowledge about trauma. So um, what we did is we put together a task force team of about 20 people, cross-functional, across the agency, different levels of the organization, and we looked at probably three to five trauma models, knowing that we were going to need to implement one. And unanimously, these 20 people all came to a place where the sanctuary model was the answer for us. And the reason why is not only is it a trauma model for how to work with kids, families, um, and and gives you uh, some just wonderful evidence, um, science and evidence around brain, brain development and the trauma impacts on the brain development. So, you know, the staff, we were able to understand the behaviors differently. The staff was able to understand the youth behaviors differently. But what sealed the deal for us is this is also an organizational change model. And it also provides a shared language of the culture, the principles, um, and, and, and there's, there's a set of fundamental guiding principles to it. And that was critical because the agency didn't have a set of values. We didn't have a shared language um, for how we were supposed to be interacting with one another and with the people that we were serving. So this became so key as we've moved through a number of very significant changes here that was a lot, a lot of loss and change. And, I mean, there were days where I would say to my team, if I have to go talk about loss and change one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> um, but, but that's what Sanctuary talks about, is you can't get to the future unless you really stop and talk about the loss and change that's, that's happening with this. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to, you know, agree with it. It, it doesn't mean that um, it isn't hard and people have feelings about it. It's about processing those feelings to be able to move forward. And as leaders, we have to take the time to be able to do that. It's also critically important. I have people call me all the time about the sanctuary model. Um, and what I will say to them is that if your CEO is not in support of this and doesn't have buy-in to it, don't even do it. Because the staff is watching everything that you do and your senior leadership team does. And if there is not buy-in at our level, um, it, it just will never, it will never move forward. Thank you for that. Um, and then, so you knew that new technology um, to allow you to track outcomes would be critical to adaptive change. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that technology piece 
Um, and mm-hmm. that's a critical, critical piece. Um, and so could you share some specific steps you took to develop this technology yeah. and how it allowed you to introduce new true patterns of accountability within your organization? Yeah, I sure can because this, we didn't have, I mean, really, we had bare bones. I, I'm not kidding. To, to talk about what we have today, eight years later, really amazes me as well um, from mm-hmm. where we came from. Um, but I think that this goes back to the strategy um, and the, the line on our balanced uh, our strategy map is there's one for internal processes. So it really forces you to constantly look at what do we need infrastructure to keep pace with the changes that we're having, the growth that we're experiencing and where we want to end up in our strategy plan. So for us in the very beginning, I mean, it was simple things like email, um, and building out the IT infrastructure in terms of, like, servers and systems. Um, it was really centralizing and building a billing team because we were going to go into the fee-for-service um, structure. It was data systems to support outcomes. I mean, for, you know, we've, we've used simple things like SharePoint um, when it took me 62 days to get an incident report back. You know, now I have mm-hmm. them same day. Um, on, on SharePoint, I mean, uh, a new general ledger system um, for in finance, a, a new donor management system, a health record system, um, you know, that took us probably three years to implement. These are long-term initiatives. Um, and then I, when I tell you simple things like policies and procedures and job descriptions and pay for performance systems, I mean, it, it, the list just goes on and on and on and it can get very overwhelming. So that's where the prioritizing comes in and the choices about your resources and what you're going to do in which order um, just become critical. But if you don't keep pace with that, that right, that's how agencies end up suffering because they've had growth and maybe their infrastructure now hasn't kept up with their growth um, or they can't grow because they haven't invested in the right infrastructure to do so. Absolutely. And you have to, right? Even, even when the funds are tight, you have to figure mm-hmm. this out. You have to find ways to be able to do this. We have to take another short break. Please stay with us. We're going to be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264 or send an email to dr white her email address is dr white at innovisions.org innovisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house association of san diego california funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission developing children families and future leaders of our communities through empowerment education and wellness 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall. With me is Rihanna Absar and Christina Golo. In the last segment, Christina was discussing with Rihanna how she built her adaptive change leadership team, how adopting the sanctuary model allowed the Villa Hope to reshape their culture, and how technology helped them to introduce accountability. Now, Christina, in this final segment, we usually like to ask our special guests to offer some advice to other leaders in the field. Specifically, I think folks would be interested in hearing your advice on adaptive change. Can you offer some, please? Oh, goodness, sure can. So I think the best advice I could give somebody is to really set the ego aside and reach out for help and advice and guidance. Um, Because I would never be where I am today you know, and to this amount of transformation that has happened in really a short amount of time, even though on some days it really felt like it's been a forever mm-hmm. journey. Um, and it's only because I'm okay with saying, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Or, you know, I don't understand that. Why can't, why can't we, like, make an exception on this particular, you know, the way that that rate works? Um, mm-hmm. And to push back and, and, to, and to actually say no. That, that, no, I'm not, we cannot do that, that service or that, um, that program for that amount of, of dollars and, and do it mm-hmm. justice. But, but the reaching out for help becomes so important. And I find most of my colleagues feel like they should have the answer. They should know the answer because they're the CEO. And, you know, how does it look if I go and say that I don't know? Yeah. We also like to ask our special guests to share with us a mistake that they may have made along the way that helped them to learn something very important about leadership that they probably would never have learned without having made that mistake. Could you share a learning mistake with us or two? Oh, my God, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'll I'll share one that that I think is, is really key to sanctuary model and the way that we do business here at the villa. And every time we've tried to shorten it or skirt this, 
it, it goes badly. So, you know, mm-hmm. in the beginning, you heard me talk about the fiscal changes. Um, and so we were going to town on implementing ways that we could cut costs. Um, it was traditional here that 3% increases were given across the board every year. We did away with that for a period of time while we were figuring out the budget and the pay for performance. Um, they uh, were doing annual uh, contributions into a pension account. We held that. We changed the pension um, account. Then we were moving on to PTO changes, um, and there was no policy on how much carryover could happen uh, for for staff. So we were carrying a $750,000 liability in our books for the amount of vacation time that we had, which was killing our balance sheet. So you can mm-hmm. imagine, right? I'm like, we'll just change the policy and, you know, we can, you know, just stop the carryover. And so you can imagine without a conversation and all of these other changes happening, we had a really significant collective disturbance on our hands. And people sure. were not happy at all that now, you know, not only were these, all these changes in programming, people were feeling unsafe in their jobs, now we were taking away benefits. Um, sure. And so that bubbled up very quickly. And we just put a halt on it. We said, you know what? We're not going to talk. We're not going to do that right now. It, it is a policy that we're going to have to come back to, but we're not even going to look at it for probably another 24 months because we hear you. There's a whole heck of a lot of change that's already happening. When we went back at this again in a much smarter way, in the way Sanctuary tells you to do this, is through democracy, which doesn't mean mm-hmm. that everybody gets a vote, but everybody has feedback into the process. So we put together a task force team, cross-functional. Again, we gave them some non-negotiables to stay within these non-negotiables, and they recommended the future changes to us. Um, We then went out with them to town hall meetings with staff. We had tweaking to do. We had to take the school really offline on a whole other process with them because it was just very different. And then after six months, you know, this takes time, but after six months when we did this, we had seamless, it was seamless, um, and, and there wasn't an issue and there wasn't a collective disturbance. Um, and so we've learned that that's the way that if you take the time up front to do it that way, you don't have all of the mess on the back end, and, sure. and you have people a lot happier through the process. Well, I would also say, go ahead. A, con- a connected question that I would kind of like to ask before we conclude is you made so many very difficult decisions, but of mm-hmm. the decisions that you made, which of them proved to be most difficult for you? Oh, the layoffs. The layoffs. There was about 35 people, um, and I, I had a horrible Um, Christmas holiday that year um, because I knew that in January that was going to happen. And I know I knew who, and these people had most of them been here for years. Um, And that was a very, very, very difficult time. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it took, you know, really going out and and taking care of people when I'm the one right making the decision. Um, but, you know, the knowledge of if I don't do this, 
this whole community will lose. Yes. There was probably a perfect example of wrestling with the brutal facts that you needed to wrestle with and doing the things that the brutal facts indicated you needed to do. Correct. This has been a, an absolutely wonderful conversation with you today, Christina. My thanks to you and, and to Rihanna for serving uh, as our special uh, a sister uh, in this process. Uh, that's all, unfortunately, we have time for today. Please join us again next time when we're going to offer another episode of Leadership Matters. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.